Okay, hello everyone, welcome to our bonus podcast. Uh, uh, we are between Christmas and, and New Year, so Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and as always, Rytis Vishnauskas, Donatos Rubinas. We will talk about some EuroLeague action uh, this week. Uh, we have a, our special topic for this podcast. We will give a mid-season awards uh, in six categories. We will also discuss two very hot games. Uh, I would say one very hot game. I would, I would also say Christmas special. Unix uh, Barcelona, and then we will talk about the derby, big Greek derby, Panathinaikos, uh, Olympiakos. Um, but before, Ritis, uh, I liked your uh, dumpling record uh, last week, and I'm curious, did you manage to beat that 41 dumpling uh, record? No, man, I, I stayed humble this time. First of all, Merry Christmas, everybody, and Happy New Year. I really uh, tried to control myself. So I ended up eating 15 dumplings, but I I tasted some other Discipline dishes. Discipline number. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I tasted some other dishes that my mom prepared. There were some very good options. I'm not a fish guy, mm-hmm. I would say, but some of the dishes that m- my mother prepared, they were really great, uh, even with fish. So when mom is over there, I mean, it's always great. Usually it's really yeah. great. So, so I really controlled myself. And um, this uh, Christmas Eve, we started eating a little bit earlier, so we have more time it's to, also to digest, you know, yeah. and you can go to bed feeling not so full. So it was a really gr- good Christmas Eve with family, quality family time. Other than that, on Christmas, uh, on the first day of Christmas, there were a couple of NBA games for me. On the second day of Christmas, it was Boxing Day football in the English Premier League, so I was working a lot. We just exchanged gifts with with my girlfriend and and then I went to work. So yeah, uh, what about you? It's your first Christmas with with your baby. Yeah, I remember we were pre- preparing for the Christmas Eve, and almost everything was set. We had a plan for our evening, and we put a baby in, into bed, and we just started uh, having a dinner. And 15 or 20 minutes later, baby starts screaming. And it, he, he was uh, always very nervous for like three or four hours later. So um, we had uh, everything You should have done something like... I tried everything. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> But you know, sometimes this, this shush makes people <laughs> angry and crazy. So <laughs> after watching Isaiah, I was trying to avoid uh, yeah. another uh, problem. Like in Palau... But my the highlight of my uh, Christmas weekend was uh, again baby was uh, pretty nervous at evening it was the first Christmas day but some somehow I managed to call him down I sat on the sofa he he was all over on me he slept uh, on my on my chest and we were just watching there was a Adele concert on yeah. our national television amazing concert by the way uh, it was in LA <laughs> big people in the crowd from Leonardo DiCaprio to Rich Paul, for example. Um, and it was a great, great evening because he was sleeping. We were just talking with wife and enjoying that uh, music uh, of Adela. So it was the best moment what, of the Christmas. What, what presents do you put under the Christmas tree for a toddler? <laughs> I have to be fair. I hope uh, my baby won't listen to this podcast a few years later. Uh, but we almost didn't put any uh, Christmas gifts for him. 
because we already spent too much on him uh, preparing for the birth. And also we knew that we're going to uh, get a lot of gifts, not for ourselves, but for the baby. So I don't even remember what we put uh, under the Christmas tree, but it was something w what we bought before uh, right. Christmas. So, <laughs> okay, so let's, sorry for that. Let's just Matis. hope that in the future he does not listen to your yeah. podcast when he's like 10 years yeah. old because he might get a little bit angry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What do you mean? I didn't get any <laughs> presents in my first Christmas? Really? Yeah. This is how I'm you're a parenting me? Dad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, and then yeah. I will explain uh, what I did for him and um, what we had to go through. So it's going to be a very good uh, conversation. Right. With that little terrorist. But I have to say that he's getting better. So mm. I'm, I'm starting to enjoy my uh, uh, fatherhood days, actually. You have to tr trust the system. Yeah. Yeah. I, I you know, I suffered at the beginning, but you have to suffer, and in December, some good results uh, might uh, maybe come Maybe sometimes up. you're not getting respect. Sometimes uh, I deserve more respect, uh, and uh, I will talk loud what, about what, it. What about the physicality? Uh, physicality, it's not always there. Uh, sometimes there is more physicality, sometimes there's not. Yeah, talking about the respect, uh, for example, this morning, he pissed on me. And uh, I, I thought that I deserved more respect. He just pissed off at me and he was laughing. So, But you're I not looking at that. the standings. No, no, no. It's in, only it, December and we will yeah. talk uh, about everything in, in April and May. Right. I'm, I'm being patient. and Just Good. looking every day is, you know, uh, as a new chapter. That's the best approach, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Shadas and his uh, amazing quotes uh, we're used to in, in Jargir's times. By the way, you mentioned before the podcast that you saw a lot of interesting uh, players uh, during Christmas night. Oh. And maybe you have any offers for the EuroLeague teams, which might hit the <laughs> market uh, strengthening for the rest of the I, season. I don't really think these guys are qualified enough to play in the EuroLeague, okay. to be honest. Uh, yeah, you're talking about what's happening in the NBA right now. Since I had uh, a lot of NBA games uh, last weekend, some of them I was covering some of them i was just watching at home i mean now every day when you tune in to nba games you will find some new names new faces players you never knew that it really existed and you will forget about them in a week like orlando magic had on their starting lineup hassani gravit gravit and admiral showfield no disrespect to these guys. No, I don't, we don't want I'm to look like Stephen A. Smith with Nigerian national team. But no, I'm not disrespecting. But you know, Orlando Magic—they are bad enough with their full roster, but now because of of COVID and injuries, uh, they are signing these guys to ten-day contracts. And Hassani Gravit played in the North Macedonian League last season, averaged twelve points per game. He won the championship. Fair enough. <laughs> now he's on a starting lineup for an NBA team, Orlando Magic. So really, um, Adam Silver is saying that they will not be, uh, they will not stop the season. They will not be planning some Orlando bubble scenario. They are willing to go ahead the way it is. But these games are unbearable, really. I mean, on Christmas night, yeah, we had Milwaukee versus Boston. It was a decent game, even though Boston had a very short rotation, again, with a lot of problems. We had Suns, Warriors, it was good, but also we had, like, Knicks and Hawks, and it's Christmas, and you're expecting something special, and you're just seeing these 
scrubs. I'm sorry, I don't want to offend anybody. This is not the real NBA. Let's talk about Christmas uh, classics. Barcelona Unix. That game uh, left me a very interesting impression because I think that uh, Euroleague should try to bring Netflix to make some documentary series about the Euroleague, uh, Euroleague basketball because we have a great example of Formula One. Uh, Netflix helped a lot to increase the attention uh, for the Formula One across the whole world and especially the United States, uh, for example. Um, the averaging viewers uh, this year was 53% higher than last year and the number was increasing every year after Netflix started their uh, series about Formula One. And I, I already see this script for this season, for example, the shush, uh, Real Madrid playing against a sky of youngsters, Mike James, oh, Mike James, every time, uh, every year, every month, uh, there's a new interesting story, uh, Greek derbies, uh, you have uh, Sharas, you had, and probably you will have soon, Jelko Bradovic, I mean, there's so much content and so much drama to make a good documentary but This series. is us talking from our bubble. European <laughs> For, formula, formula One is global. Uh, it's a big thing and it's been a big deal for 40 or 50 years. It's global, but the mm, interest for this sport, I would say, increased significantly yeah, I get in the it. United the po States. Popularity yeah. increased, but... And EuroLeague should go abroad. They should go, they should try to hit the US market. And I remember I had a conversation recently, probably it was Aaron White, and we discussed some things uh, about media, about the exposure for the EuroLeague. And uh, I don't remember how many games they broadcast, but probably the, there's, there are a lot of issues that Americans, they just don't see EuroLeague basketball. Well... It's a tough question because the, the quality is not, not there like in the NBA, but there are some stories and uh, some games to show and to attract I think, some okay, I, I can answer about this uh, really why it wouldn't work for the American market the way it is right now. Uh, time zone. Mm. Simple. Are you watching NBA games during the night? No, unless it's playoffs. Unless it's playoffs, right? So NBA has this like... Or at least it's late Sunday... It's, game. it's early a, in states it's, and late. It's, it's Sunday. It's ten thirty in Lithuania. Mm. So you're watching that, right? So it's like a, a European time game. So that's why you should make a documentary series. And because I I'm not watching Formula One. So for example, you make documentary series, right? They might watch it. They might enjoy it. Will they start paying for a Euroleague pass to watch the games? No. They're for example, in America... Because time zone also makes an impact for the Formula One uh, broadcast. Yeah, but they're on weekends. It's very different. So, for example, uh, there is a huge fan base in the United States of America of the English Premier League. The English, English Premier League is on weekends. They can go to the pub even early in the morning and watch those games and drink beer and enjoy football or soccer, as they would say. Euroleague is being played Thursday, Friday. How, how how do you imagine a working American person? So we need to make the Euroleague closed league on weekends. On weekends, and to show uh, Americans. And still, you would be competing uh, for air time uh -huh. with the NBA. It's That's hard. tough, right? It's hard. Okay. Because Formula, well, I, ha I have a dream. I have a dream. Because Formula <laughs> One is Formula One, right? 
There is nothing. But okay, at least make a good documentary. I agree on because, that. for example, I'm not watching Formula One. I agree on a documentary, but I love the documentary. I watched all. Probably we had three seasons. Anyway, and my interest kind of because I was Formula One fan when Michael Schumacher was over there and he was competing right. against uh, Mika Hakkinen, uh, for example. Since then, I didn't watch the Formula right. One before Netflix uh, documentary happened. No, I agree on I agree on that Let's one. Start from uh, something. I'm just saying why you. It's impossible to bring Euroleague to an American market and a few other points that I could say. Um, Formula One, like I said, it's Formula One. Americans do not have their own Formula One, which they would think is better. Mm -hmm. Formula NASCAR. One is global, right? Mm. But NASCAR is a different it's, sport. Yeah. It's a different sport. Then football, like Premier League and all the other leagues, Barcelona, Real Madrid, El Clasico, it's big for them because their major league soccer is not really good. Mm -hmm. And European stars, big names, go to America to actually make their game better. Now basketball. Basketball is theirs. They have the best players, they have the best league, and if you put your league on a screen for an American viewer, he might find some players. Oh, this guy averaged 3.6 points per game in Char Charlotte. Why would I watch him? <laughs> it It's impossible. It wouldn't work. It's like creating a, a new NFL in Europe. Mm. For us, it might be interesting, American football in Europe. But how would you um, prove to an American that yeah, this is also interesting. Watch this. <laughs> this is good. They already have their basketball. I think it's a, an impossible market uh, for, for the EuroLeague. Looking for long term, probably. And not trying to make something bigger than documentary. Right. Documentary yeah. would be great. I agree on that one. And we have personalities, characters, everything right now in, in the EuroLeague. Let's just start from this, you know, and later we can check. Well, maybe if there's interest, why not to try to broadcast, let's say, game of the week. Uh, the final four is actually broadcasted in yeah. in a lot of countries and, in, and in yeah, America yeah. as well. And it's on weekend also. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, EuroLeague should do this job. I mean, to to look for ways how to hit the U.S. market and to make some moves. Not us, but we're just uh, the U.S. Some market, ideas. or should we talk about the Asian market? To be fair, Philippines are crazy. For example, um, we have some few videos which went uh, viral on YouTube, and what is interesting that the biggest audience was from Philippines. So maybe you're right. Maybe we should go for that market too. And I think it's easier to approach them because they do not have a product mm -hmm. inside their countries like NBA. But they still, they can choose NBA. Well, they're NBA the fans, but I wouldn't say that uh, fans like in Philippines or in Japan or in South Korea, if they watch basketball, their actual, um, I would say, um, principles are the same as Americans. Because Americans are very proud of their sports. And you can convince, I believe, like, Philippinese people that EuroLeague is good, it's great basketball, there are a lot of good players, and it's worth watching. I think it would be a lot easier to have this conversation with someone from the Asian region than someone from the United States. That's okay. Now we're moving forward yeah. and finding uh, some common sense. We were not prepared for this discussion, but yeah. it was it was kind of interesting. <laughs> let's start. Uh, let's start talking about the Barca Unix game, and I tried to split that game because there's so much content uh, about this game. I tried to split this one 
the call, the shush, and just the game in general. So first of all, the call on file call on Nikola Mirotic, free free throws uh, that helped Barcelona to make it in overtime. What do you think about that situation? Star call, air. It's air. <laughs> I mean, this Ghost foul. This foul. Uh, first of all, awarding free free throws for that is not good for the game of basketball. The NBA, with their examples of James Harden and Steph Curry and other players getting cheap free free throws when imitating jump shots, they actually changed their rules. So you would not get free free throws for something like this. So I think it's also coming in, in the EuroLeague. It in, should. In the coming years. It, it should be. So first of all, for me, it was like, it's not free free throws, but then I'm also thinking... Tonya Jekiri, you should be smarter than that. You're up by three. Mirotic already has the ball in his hands. You know he's gonna go. He's gonna go for this. Um, you shouldn't foul him. But then, the next day, I woke up in the morning. I, I actually watched this again and again and again, and I started thinking not only about the free free throws. Then I was thinking like, where is the foul? There's no foul there. Not only free free throws, but I don't really think Mirotic was fouled. I tried to analyze this uh, video with few referees, and they mentioned that, let's say, if you are looking for a foul, they, first of all, they think that was a foul. And if you're looking for a foul, probably the problem was the push, and just uh, either a push, uh, or he was just uh, having his hand, uh, you know... Uh, Somewhere on his body. Yeah, yeah. And... As you mentioned, I mean, that was the main mistake by Tonia Jakiri, first of all. I mean, you have to be much smarter in, in situations like this. Okay, Th so then even if it was the foul, what about yeah, the, the free free throws? No free, no free free throws, really. He jumped in the air and then he just put the ball somewhere on the side. Yeah. How can you, how can you um, interpret that this as a, as, a, as a jump shot? Shooting motion, how? That's why we should have more video reviews in situations. So like the that. coaches challenge it's, it stops the game. But right the now, right now in Europe, the coaches challenge is nothing. But the problem is with the coaching challenge in that particular station was that Perasovic didn't have any timeout, and to have a coaching challenge, I think you have to have timeouts left. Okay, but even if if he had, the coaches yeah. challenge in Europe does not allow yeah. you to, to so challenge for, for simple fouls. So the coaches challenge in Europe right now is is something that. Doesn't doesn't actually give any power to the coach. It's basically only for oh. an unsportsmanlike foul yeah, or yeah, yeah. like decreasing the a foul. And once again, and the NBA, they were the first to try the coach's challenge, and they're successfully doing that. You can challenge anything. It's up to you. If you want to try and risk, you might lose your timeout. The challenge might not be successful, but you can challenge anything. For example. Boston Celtics playing the Milwaukee Bucks. Giannis Antetokounmpo was driving to the paint. He hits Marcus Smart. It's an end one. But uh, Ime Udoka is not happy with the call. Marcus Smart is not happy with the call. They are completely convinced that it's a charge. It's an offensive foul. So they are taking the challenge, right? And it could be the fourth foul on Giannis Antetokounmpo. So you're just willing to give it a shot, right? If it's overturned, it's a win-win not only you avoid two points, but also the opponent's star player gets the fourth foul. The challenge ends up unsuccessful. 
call sta- stands, you lose a timeout. Fair enough. But this gives you an opportunity to actually change the game with your challenge. In Europe, what we have right now is the first season we, we're living with these challenges. It's They're just useless. not enough impact. Mm-hmm. It should be expanded. And also think that, okay, Perasovic didn't have any timeouts left. So, for example, in a hypothetical situation, he didn't have a challenge uh, um, to use uh, in, the, in that particular moment. But at the same time, that foul was so unclear that why not just to make to analyze this play one more time with a group of referees? Because uh, Damir Yavro, he was the guy who uh, called that foul. He was the guy who sent uh, Mirotic for free free throws. I mean, he was standing behind uh, and he had a really bad view uh, on that play, I would say. So I can I can see that he wasn't sure about uh, that call. And I can... St- I, I believe that his colleagues also weren't sure. So why not to review the play, even if there was a challenge Are they allowed or not? to? Are they allowed to re- they should review? Be. They should be. I know that it stops the game, but at the same time, I think it's 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 useful. I, I see more advantages than disadvantages because yeah, I mean, they're already making a lot of reviews during the game. I mean, they should be allowed to re- review whether it's a shooting foul or not. And... It's a crucial situation. I, I cannot believe that the referee would go to the monitor, see this, and think like, okay, it's free free throws, it's a shooting foul. Mm-hmm. I, I do not believe that. Uh, it was their instant reaction. And also, like I said, it's a star call. Again, it's hypothetical, but would you imagine uh, something like the game is in Palau? On the other side of the court, let's say... Jalgris is playing. Jalgris yeah. is playing and Nils Gifai is going or a jump shot with a ball in his hands like this and he's fouled and Barca is up by three and it's the last seconds of the game I, nah, ha- I have impossible. a question for you do you prefer uh, let's say over calling fouls or not giving foul hmm I would I just prefer consistency. I, I, I really don't have an answer to your question. I just like when, when there are no double standards and if the referee set a line, for example, in a game that this time we're going to allow more contact. So they stick to that for 40 minutes. The players adjust. And yeah, it's fair. Uh, however, uh, watching basketball for more than 20 years... Uh, I understand that there are star calls, that some players are more special than the others, uh, more equal than the others, let's say. Everyone's equal, but some are more equal. So it's happening in the NBA, it's happening in in Europe, and it's impossible to avoid that because, well, star players, I mean, every time you make a decision when you're a referee, it's really hard to just think like it's a player X, going against player Y and it doesn't matter who they are. It matters who they are. Yeah, you know, you've known them for so. a lot of years. You know that this guy is a flopper. You know that this guy is always very brutal and always playing on the line of a sportsman-like foul. You know that this guy is a superstar and he's very good at drawing fouls and sometimes you just cannot really see whether it was real foul or it was something that he really made for by himself. So... I'm li- I'm willing to live with that as long as there's consistency. You know, I'm asking because I feel bad watching games being decided on the free throw uh, line. For example, Barcelona 
in fourth quarter and overtime, they attempted 29 free throws. And not just that situation with Nikola Miritic. I think that refereeing, in this case, by making so many uh, foul calls, they kind of ruined the end of the game because before Miritic, you can remember that Lorenzo Brown, and uh, he, he was also on the on the line uh, after La Provitola fouled him. And if you watch the replay, I mean, okay, there was contact, but it's not a foul to decide the game in the last minute. And for example, if... Mirotic uh, didn't have a foul call, and he, for example, missed that shot or assist, whatever it was, and Unix won that game. That game would have been decided by Lorenzo Brown free throws on that particular station, which was... I mean, my, my idea is let these guys play, let them decide things on the court with shots, uh, with some field goals, and not the free throws, because... It's, it was ridiculous watching EuroLeague social media accounts. Probably it was on Twitter or on Instagram. I don't remember. They made a clip of Barca making free throws in the end of the game. So they set the record, I think. They made like... 42 or 34. They made 39 consecutive free throws. And then Serta Tranli missed. Yeah. But it, it's crazy number. It, I, I mean, it's crazy that in the final, in the last... 15 minutes of the game, both teams uh, combined, uh, they scored 41 point of 89 from the free throw line. That's not how it should be. We remember the game FS Barcelona. Two main players were fouled out in situations where we just witnessed ghost calls. Yeah, but, you know, in, in the overtime, for example, um, Kyle Kuric is moving without the ball and he just gets fouled. So we cannot Ignore that. You of have course, to call those fouls. It depends. But there were some situations where, I mean, they were just fighting for the ball or in the end of the quarter, in my eyes, referees gave an opportunity for Barca to play more physical than Unix. Okay, maybe maybe so. I mean, but I, I, I think we're still talking too much about the refereeing. Uh, That's the problem. Unix Kazan, in my opinion... They should not have been in a situation where the game is decided by Mirotic uh, free throws. They shouldn't have been there in the first place. And they have only themselves to blame, to be mm -hmm. honest. They were up 20. They were in control. They were the better team. Then all of a sudden, they stopped playing offense. Uh, Mario Hezonia took some really wild shots in the fourth quarter. They were just... Uh, dribbling the ball for 23 seconds and taking fadeaway jump shots at the very last second. And Dan Dexum actually did a good job contesting the, these shots. He did, but Unix stopped playing too mm. early. They stopped playing their normal offense too early. Only isolation plays and difficult uh, jump shots off the dribble that they were not getting in. Lorenzo Brown, Mario Hezonia missed shots. And the other thing is that they struggled with Barcelona's full court, full court mm. press. They made some silly turnovers. And they should have been prepared a little bit more than Barca at home and Palau. They will try to come back. Of course, we're talking about Isaiah Cannon's mm. finger. And this was something that lit the atmosphere in, in Palau. And the players also got angry. Mirotic got angry. And when Mirotic is angry, he starts playing better. He starts punishing you. So for Isaiah Cannon, uh, Cannon turned out to be not his night. Because of this, he also missed crucial free throws in the, in the overtime. Uh, although I liked those, um, I liked the showmanship. 
I mean, what I kind of did, and this one, and then staring to Barcelona's bench. But I think it, it was <laughs> a bit overrated because it's not something exceptional. I mean, that's probably one third of American guards do every but night. Shushing the crowd, mm, I don't see that too often. I mean, for me, it was very natural reaction because Barca were starting a run. It was really important. Uh, time of the fourth quarter, it was the middle of the fourth quarter, uh, and Unix stopped the run, and Cannon's three was very important. Barca's crowd uh, was wild before that play. You make a good three-pointer, shush the crowd. That's that's what can you expect in this situation. Yeah, but... So, I was just surprised that they were calling him a, a puta madre, something like that, son of the bitch, after that play. He didn't do anything wrong. He wasn't like Donato Zavaska showing a middle finger uh, for Zagreb fans in the derby game, for example. I mean, I didn't see any disrespect. And that's how Isaiah Cannon is. I mean, that's that was the usual play for him. And I want to see more players like him, actually, because it adds some drama, it adds some emotion. That's what this game is yeah, all about. Yeah, I'm, I'm all in for it. Uh, but, you know, sometimes you're looking at these players and you're thinking that they're like Superman. Uh, but then Isaiah Cannon goes to the free throw line in the overtime, taking free free throws, and Palau is going crazy. And this is the moment where you realize he's a human. He's a human being that has feelings, and it's sometimes difficult for him. He's nervous there on the free throw line, and he's missing too. Isaiah Cannon is like 83% mm. free throw shooter. For him, it's a routine to make these free throws, but he couldn't do it uh, this time in this environment. So it, it goes to show you that they're still humans at the end of the day. And yeah, just, just finishing my point, um, Unix Kazan, they just had to close this game. They have only themselves to blame. Free throws or not, Unix Kazan were in a position to close this game and avoid what happened in the end of it. So bad luck in a way, but also they didn't do their job till the very end. Yeah, of course. I've, I also think that they were super unlucky. Uh, I remember well Mario Hezonia having great open look. It was something around like 16, uh, 60 seconds to play. Uh, Unix probably, they were up by four. He had an amazing open look and he missed that shot. Uh, Isaiah Cannon uh, free throws. That, that's the thing what I wanted to say that despite everybody was talking about uh, refs being in favor of Barca because of that military shot. No, Unix lost the game uh, before that call. And that, of course, now it's for me, it's very easy to judge, uh, very easy um, to make statements, but probably that was a time when Tarasovic missed that moment just to calm his team down. Uh, he didn't use many players in the fourth quarter. Uh, I think that he missed that opportunity to cool down Isaiah Cannon, uh, to, let's say, to draw some better quality plays at the end of the game, because as I mentioned, uh, either it was Hezonia or Lorenzo Brown taking really, really tough uh, uh, three-pointers. And uh, they just couldn't do anything about uh, uh, pressure, full-court pressure uh, of uh, Barcelona. And in the end, actually, Hezonia fouled out. They were left without him. Also in a Jaquiri also fouled out. situation. Also, they, they lost two players for Barca. There were also guys uh, that fouled out. Three players, actually. Nikola Mirotic eventually got his fifth. Jokobaitis got his fifth. La Provitola got his fifth. So I wouldn't call this game unfair refereeing yeah, in yeah, favor of no Barcelona. Uh, 
but yeah. No EuroLeague Mafia in this case. <laughs> no, Sorry, guys. Just Unix Kazan had to win it in regular time, and I would say with a double-digit advantage, which they deserve. Uh, the way they were playing in the third quarter, you could see that they are uh, the better team in this moment. Uh, and I started remembering what they did in Moscow when they beat Saska. Something similar was happening here. But at the same time, some you have to say that uh, Barca showed their cojones. I mean, uh-huh. making a comeback like this is is difficult. And Dante Exum had his best game so far. Not only yeah, yeah, uh, not only on defense, he made some big plays on offense as well. He ended up with 13 points. Uh, but I also would like to give a shout out to John Brown. No. Oh. One of my favorite players. Once again, showing what a warrior he is um, in this game. He w- he was everywhere. Steals, rebounds, fast breaks, 21 points, playing 41 minutes. And it was so painful to watch him in the overtime when he got hurt. Mm-hmm. And you could see he's hurt real bad. But knowing that it's John Brown, he's still willing to fight. He's still staying on the court. He's suffering, but th- then you saw that it's just impossible for him to continue. And uh, Perasovic had to make the substitution. But John Brown, wow, what a what a player he is! What a journey he had. He started his pro career in Europe, uh, playing in the second Italian division. He spent four years in Italy uh, before joining Onyx, uh, which comes to no surprise because Onyx uh, sports director is Italian, Claudio Coldebella. So probably the connection uh, played some uh, role in this situation. But his amazing effort, he, I mean, watching him hurt, being hurt and getting injured, it was, was something like watching a really great movie and uh, seeing your favorite character of, of that movie dying, uh, something like that, because it was so unfair. It was actually unfair that Unix lost that game because they fully deserved that win. And Barca, they were... If, if Barca fans are saying that uh, Canon. Uh, kind of disrespected and embarrassed them with that shush. I think that Barca players, they actually embarrassed their fans themselves with the play, with the game they showed uh, before that uh, historical uh, comeback. But yeah, John Brown, I mean, we should have deflections uh, category in in stats uh, because John Brown's numbers, they're not so impressive uh, as they should be, actually. And watching him having all these deflections, uh, trapping uh, uh, guards, for example, I I remember there were at least few occasions when, I mean, uh, John Brown and Marcos Pisu, they could do a really great job in streets of Barcelona and La Rambla like uh, pickpocketing or uh, <laughs> something like that because they're a great team in, in stealing balls. I, I hope it's a compliment. because It's a huge compliment, <laughs> yeah, because the competition in La Rambla is, is really tough, uh, but John Brown and Spisu, they would be just amazing. John Brown is leading the EuroLeague in steals by a mile. I mean, he's it's averaging... One of the best he, historical He's averaging 2.6 steals per game. The second is Pierre Henry with 1.9 per game, which is also impressive. But John Brown is just getting these uh, crazy numbers. I believe the steals record in in a Euroleague game or in a season still belongs to Manu Ginobili. Yeah, yeah. John Brown could go for that record. Sometimes uh, steals, the number of steals, that stat line is overrated because there are players. Who tend to try to steal the ball, but usually they yeah. 
actually missed their uh, Mike James, number Alexei Shved, for Mike example. James, number eight in steals. Yeah, and Scotty Wilbekin, number four in steals. Usually, not good defenders. More, uh, it it makes more harm uh, than good things for their teams. But it's called gambling. Yeah, yeah, and usually they lose that gamble. But yeah, John Brown is a different uh, case. Uh, yeah, and we actually did a good video about uh, John Brown and uh, him being one of the best uh, hustle players, electrifying players in the EuroLeague. You can watch it also on the uh, YouTube channel of Basket News. Thanks, uh, Gitas. Yeah, and Barcelona end the first part of the season with 15 wins and only two losses, matching the best results so far in the modern EuroLeague, which was set by, by Fenerbahce. And also they did that in the last six, at least six games, without Nicolaitis, without Corey Hickens. Uh, Alex Abrinas, we, we already He's forgot out. him. He, he, he was out yeah. from the very beginning. And th this wow. team uh, was controlled by a 21-year-old point guard, Rokas Jokubaitis, who we almost all thought that this Barcelona chapter will be very difficult for him and we will have to be patient with him. La Provitala, the same. He was uh, written off even by some uh, Real executives after mm -hmm. the last year. And now he was having a really, really good uh, break uh, when Calates was injured. So, And of course, they were led by the most consistent EuroLeague player, Nikola Mirotic. Yeah, yep. and MVP season so far. And obviously, a lot of credit goes to Coach Sharas for handling the situation and managing to be... Uh, to be to, to win games not only in the Euroleague but in the Spanish league as well because mm -hmm. we know Yesikavichus and his approach for him there are no games that are less important than the others for him every game is important he is so demanding he's crazy about that and he's trying to win every time and to be leading uh, the standings in Euroleague I mean in the Spanish league maybe they are still behind Real Madrid by a one victory but it's not a problem the position where they are right now is is amazing. It's impressive, actually. Yeah. So and, and these wins like the this, the, the comeback they made, they had some other games where they won in overtime with the buzzer beater. It shows that really they have the right mentality. Even though, when the game ends like with a scoreline, 111 against 109, you expect to hear Shara saying something like, "This is not the way we usually mm. win." But we win we're just by taking offense, that win but, and we go to the we next just one. take it and we go to the next one, right? So yeah, um, I think they're still they still haven't reached their uh, full potential on defense. They were the best defensive team. Uh, they had the best defensive rating last season. Mm, their numbers this year are not as good as they were last season, actually. I'm not surprised at all because you have to play La Provitola and Jokubaitis all the time. That's tough. Yeah, yeah, the backcourt yeah. So defense. Th that's what I'm saying. They still have a lot of potential to be better on defense. Yeah, yeah And yeah. on offense, it's working for them. Um, they're leading the league in the assist, I believe. Probably. Might be. Because the ball is moving very, very well. Actually, Mirotic, uh, the way he's getting his points, sometimes it's from a post-up situation like one-on-one, -on -one, but so many times he's just getting his points uh, after great ball movement mm -hmm. where he just needs to hit a spot-up shot uh, or it's a high-low play where the ball is just put in his hands under the under the rim. Uh, it's a good team where players yeah. know their roles, and even though there are superstar players by their status, they're not being superstars in a negative way. 
everyone's a team player. They follow the system, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Shara just puts them in the best positions uh, to score. But wrap uh, up this uh, this game uh, one more time. I mean, big shout out uh, to Unix. Uh, okay, they lost this game. They gave away this uh, victory. But at the same time, it's a completely new team. They already overachieved. And that's an just another lesson for them moving forward and trying to remain in the top eight. It won't be easy because many teams, especially the big ones, they will step up. Yeah. And... Uh, to be fair, it's hard uh, to see more potential uh, for this Unix team unless you will have some addition, I don't know, maybe uh, for the front line. What's the update on John Brown's injury? Uh, I don't know. I didn't see that there were some serious problems. No, so, so let's hope it's nothing serious. Yeah. Right. They have to stay healthy and uh, it's, it's going to be hard for them. That's for sure. Yeah. Okay, so let's travel to Greece. Yeah, Greek derby. Do you like Greece? Athens? I love Greece. Athens is one of the best cities for me in terms of uh, fans, culture, people out there have a lot of friends Passion in Greece. Passion for basketball. Yeah, I mean, every ride with taxi, it's another basketball topic, another topic, uh, conversation about Sharas, about what Panaikos uh, does wrong. Uh, Spanulis. how they hate Olympiakos or Panathinaikos. It's always very interesting conversation. Of course, usually only the taxi driver is talking uh, because Greeks uh, love to talk, but it's always a great, great experience for us basketball lovers. And it's warm out there, so I'm okay with that because now we're talking, we have minus 15 real feel oh, yeah. outside the office. So I, I actually like the snow. I love those days when it's cold. When it's sunny. Sunny. Also. And there's a lot of snow. But we don't have too many days like this, <laughs> to be fair. Yeah, the Greek derby. Um, the atmosphere in Oaka was uh, great. But the worst part is that uh, there are new restrictions in yeah. Greece. And Only in January, they will have up to 1,000 people. people. That's, that's bad. So I hope you guys enjoyed uh, that atmosphere. 11,000 were here. I hope not the last time this year, this season. But actually, about the game, there's not much to talk about. Yep. You, you you just could see that... Olympiacos just cruised this These, these teams right now, it, it's different quality. I know that Pau won the uh, domestic league game, which they had previously, but... And I have to be honest, it was one of the better games for Panathinaikos this year, in my eyes, because the games I watched with Panathinaikos, they were pretty ugly. So it was not even the worst scenario. They lost by 19 points, but the difference was uh, smaller yeah, than that because they built the lead in the end. The fourth quarter was 30-14 mm. in advantage of Olympiakos. But uh, I think Panathinaikos were just staying in the game because of Papayanis qualities and Nemanja Nedovic making some tough shots. But Olympiakos is just a better team right now, a much better in team. every category. You can see that in the standings. You could see that on the court. Um, I think Costas Lucas had a very good game playing his pick and rolls. Um, he put Macon on basketball clinic, actually. I think Sasha Vezenkov, once again, he's having a very good regular season. And uh, you could hear him after the game th when when they win when they won against Aswell he was saying now our minds are set on this greek derby we're going to prepare for this one we got to bring our best game and they did actually they delivered vesenkov 
it's Lucas. Shaquille McKissick was an X factor, I would say. This season, yeah. his numbers are not really impressive, but in this game, he stepped up. Made important shots yeah. in the end. Yeah, he as made, well as Dorsey. He made free pointers. You know that other teams are sometimes taking risks mm. against him. They're going under the screens, and he made three out of six. Tyler Dorsey and Thomas Walkup, these are just amazing additions for their defense. And of course, offensively, Tyler Dorsey is also extremely talented and and skilled. So once just just a better team won. And we can talk not only about this game, but about how the season is going in general. Olympiakos is final four material. It's clear. Panathinaikos, they are where where they deserve to be, actually. Mm-hmm. They I completely agree. The, now they're facing Schalgiris in the next game. So these two teams, they are where they deserve to be with the way they're playing and the roster that they have. Yeah, and talking about Olympiakos, it's one of the most complete teams, I would say. They have the second best offense in the EuroLeague, the second best uh, defense. They allow only 31% of uh, three-pointers. They're fourth by assists, uh, second best in, in, in turnovers, and they're just playing really smart. Team basketball, they're very uh, good build, very well built defensively. They share the ball. They're just like an actual team. And al- almost all these things are <laughs> very opposite to what we see in Panathinaikos game. But what I want to say about Olympiakos, the thing about uh, why we didn't speak about Olympiakos more before probably was based on the fact that we are not surprised about Olympiakos at all. I think we had them as fifth seed in our power rankings before the season. We really had them really high in the really before this year, so it didn't surprise us at all, so maybe that's why we didn't talk uh, about them. Yeah, but more. we were talking about them in, uh, after some games. Yeah, it's a Sky we, game, I remember, yeah, but I, I saw that some some of our viewers were missing mm. uh, more more topics about uh, They have to teams. be mentioned. I mean, they finished the first part of the season in third place, and they could have been even higher. They were unlucky in some games that they lost. Uh, the scary part is that I see even more potential if Quincy AC uh, will be performing in the second part of the season. He will help a lot. Their their front line, their flexibility, line of flexibility. And also, for example, Thomas Walkup. He's making threes only by 19%. Uh, I think that in the last... In many games, he he now he's like one of sixteen uh, yeah, beyond he, the arc. He can do much better. He he's much better uh, three point shooter. He's not very 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 solid. He's not. He's a not a sharp shooter, but but we know, we know his numbers from from Ralgiris. Yeah, you you cannot take risks as we saw in Panthinaikos game. They're just forcing him to shoot some threes. I think the key is that this Olympiakos team is very well balanced. You have guys like Thomas Walkup and Tyler Dorsey that pressure uh, the ball very well. They are so good uh, in one-on-one defense. You have Costas Lucas, the brains, uh, the player that actually controls uh, the tempo, plays a uh, pick-and-roll every time and is very successful doing that. You have Mustafa Fall to go big. You have Hassan Martin to go small. Even Mustafa Fall works actually in switch-all defense, which is crazy. Mm. When you know his size and and usually these type of centers they don't switch on defense, so it's it's a very well balanced team. And Barzokas, uh, we know that he loves his rotations. He loves to rotate. He loves to set the rotation and to use it the way it's planned. And it's working for him in the long term. It's 
I mean, they won 12 games already. Uh, they will be in the playoffs. That's that's 100%. I think it's out of discussion. But uh, it would be very interesting to see them going against, let's say, Tsuska. Because mm. Tsuska, they, they, every year they go to the Final Four. Right now, if it would be a playoff series, Olympiakos Tsuska, I wouldn't be so sure about Tsuska yeah, of course. having an advantage. That will be the que- for Olympiakos, it will be the question of matchups uh, in the quarterfinals. And you never know, you might get uh, FS. And they might be on fire by yeah, right now that time it's, of it's, the year. It's too early to predict. Of course. But one thing is for sure that Olympiakos will be in the playoffs and they are in a good position to fight for a home court advantage, which is also important. Yeah. and But when we compare these two Greek teams, we have to take the budget into consideration. Uh, from what I heard, uh, Olympiakos, they had something around 8 million euro budget for players. Uh, for salaries, salaries only. Uh, Panthnaikos, uh, their budget was something around uh, 5.5. So, you know, it would be unfair to compare uh, these teams, uh, not taking this in, into consideration. And we're not even doing that. But that's probably that explains some things uh, trying to talk uh, about Panathinaikos' problem, but, but I sorry. still think that they could uh, use this money smarter. Of course, I mean, I'm sorry, but 2.5 million euros uh, difference is significant, but it's not something that means you you don't stand a chance. Uh, Maybe in Greece, it, it looks significant, but we had, because they were used to big money, uh, they were big spenders uh, 10 years ago, uh, paying huge money for the top European players. Now they're in a different situation, different league, but we're fl- from Lithuania. Mm. We know better about uh, but budget uh, restrictions. I think with, with 5.5 million euros for player salaries, you can still build a better team than they have right now. I mean, um, you have Nemanja Nedovic, you're thinking he's a star player on the roster. You know that he's injury prone. But if you if you already have Nemanja Nedovic, then you need a true point guard. Exactly. And you're bringing in Daryl Macon. And Kendrick Perry. Unproven guards, rookie guards. It's a team of individuals. They don't have a, a leader. They don't have a point guard. Papa Petru is supposed to be the face of the team and the leader. But he's a small forward. It's kind of difficult for him to be the the decisive player, yeah. the decider of the games when Nedovic and Macon are doing their thing. Okay, you have Papayanis as a good center, as a good big, but you see him playing 37 minutes. It shouldn't be like this. You should have some backups. You should have, um, I mean, you should invest smarter. Uh, they didn't sign good American players, mm-hmm. in my opinion. And for the lower budget teams, the main thing is always to hit the jackpot with the Americans that you're signing, whether it will be three players, four players, but you have to be smart in the market. For me, it looks like they just simply went for random players with some statistics that they had in their previous teams, and now now you're 17th in the standings, and you deserve to be there, to be honest. So the money, I understand it's an issue, but you can use the money a lot better than they did. I completely agree. I mean, they you. brought Dimitris Priftis. That seems to be a good coach. Probably it was the best available coach from Greece. But with this roster, what can you expect from him? I mean, maybe they were expecting something like uh, he did in Kazan. He was doing really great in Kazan. 
uh, with many individuals and somehow he managed to make a team of them. But to be honest, it was all programmed. I mean, before this EuroLeague season, when we saw the roster, when we saw all these individuals, uh, I saw that a uh, few weeks ago, probably, uh, it was reported that they were close uh, to sign uh, Stefan Jovic, which actually makes sense. Finally, it's a true floor general who also can play defense. And that's the player. Actually, Pantnaikos needed Thomas Walkup type of player and the same as uh, Olympiakos, and did a move for him. So I was really surprised that if you have Nedovic, I'm okay with, with Nedovic if you have a solid floor general who can play yeah, defense. And Nedovic then plays as him. a combo guard, yes. so it works. But now you have Macon, now you have uh, Kendrick Perry. I agree completely Th- just about no tr- Papa Petro. I love Papa Petro as the face of the locker room, of the culture, and in my eyes, he's a very good asset or helper um, which has who has at least one or two superstars on that team, and mm. but these superstars they cannot be Nedovic, uh, I don't know, Papayanis, uh, Macon. They have to be really solid players. And as you mentioned, it's really hard to find the small forwards as go-to guys. Probably we have only Will Clyburn as an example uh, in the Euroleague. Mm. So that's tough. I, I feel bad for them that they couldn't keep uh, Dino Smitoglu. It's a very important uh, local player. I, I like his character, his hustle, his his skill and everything. And that, that was probably the problem with the budget. They couldn't uh, keep him. They, they couldn't compete against Milan. But all the things they did, you could really do better. Daryl Macon, for example, he's a scorer, right? Um, you look at the statistics and they seem nice. 14.5 points per game, 59.5% two-point shooting. averaging close to 20 points in the first part. Of okay, the so he's a scorer and his stats look nice. Mm. But these are empty stats. You watch these games. He's not really a winning player. And now when they face two elite teams, two teams that are really good on defense, Daryl Macon ended up against Barcelona with minus 8 index rating. Against Olympiacos, ended up with minus 5 index rating. And then I think I'm I'm thinking um, Dimitris Priftis in Unix Kazan. He had an experienced shooting guard, Jamar Smith, who was really good. I don't think he's more expensive than Daryl Macon. Was it impossible to bring him with a lot more experience in European basketball? Jamar Smith, Priftis knows him. He's a proven scorer in the Euro Cup. He ended up in Turkish League in a team that I actually barely know. And they went for Daryl Macon. So decisions made in the summer, they were just not the right decisions. But we had Powell in the standings when we were predicting the season somewhere 15th, yeah, 16th. Yeah, yeah. So it was expected. And Olympiacos, they're an elite team. They're back in the elite, finally, after a couple of years of chaos and unsuccessful seasons. Yeah, and I'm happy for that. Uh, yeah. Because we were really missing them. Uh, I actually love both teams because I have many people, many friends around both of these teams. Uh, and to be honest, yeah, at first uh, I remember I was cheering more for Panthinaikos because uh, Sharas played uh, for them. But then uh, Kleiza joined Olympiakos. Uh, he was doing great uh, over there. And, and in some years, I you know I had I found some friends around both of these teams. So I really love. Uh, both of them, I would really would love uh, to see both of them being successful. I uh, remember the days when it was not so common to bring a 
let's say big NBA name to 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 the EuroLeague because right now we're getting used to seeing players like OG Mayo and Kenneth Farid and uh, Emmanuel Moody and others. And at that time when it was really not so common, Olympiakos signed Josh, Josh Childress. So for me, it seemed like the biggest signing of mm. the European basketball mind history. Yeah, <laughs> Mind-blowing, yeah. right? Uh, Josh Childress was actually okay. I, I cannot say he didn't He perform. underachieved, I guess. A little bit, but I cannot say Maybe he didn't expectations perform. were too high. But defensively, he was really good. Uh -huh. um, the expectations were very high, but at the same time, you saw when, when he started playing in the EuroLeague, you saw how actually different the mm. NBA basketball is from, from the, the EuroLeague. Uh, but yeah, I remember that team. It was very impressive. At the time, they were signing superstar players. What's funny is that they finally won the EuroLeague when they had a lower budget and they couldn't afford mm -hmm. Childress, Klaza, and, and other star players. And they had to win for the system, for Dusan Nikolic. And was established. Spanulis was winning the EuroLeague um, with role players on his side. So yeah, fighters, yeah, I would fighters, say. warriors, right? But in terms of quality, they were role players. They were always facing more talented teams in the final four. So I think those Olympiakos titles might be the most impressive mm -hmm. championship titles in the the modern Euroleague because not only it's an underdog story, Maccabi story was also yeah, exceptional. But in Olympiakos' case, you saw a team with a they had a continuity. Which Panhaikos are lacking uh, right now also? They had a team with a killer and a lot of hard workers. Mm. And it was enough for them to, to win the EuroLeague twice. Yeah, that's the case. They had something to build around. To build around uh, the team, uh, around Spanulis in, uh, in Panhaikos. Uh, and now the Olympiakos actually have it again. Building around Kostas Lukas, who's a proven veteran and he's still not that old. And adding good players uh, when you analyze their profiles. Good personalities. So some players are, they're good personalities and some of them are very good defensively. Others bring some physicality. Others bring some size, which leads to having a very well-balanced team where everybody has their role and they understand what they need to do on the court and they're winning games once again. I mean, maybe for too long... They were dependent on Spanulis mm -hmm. and Printezis when they were getting older. Yeah. Now they moved on from that. Printezis is the captain, but he doesn't have to play 25 minutes. Exactly. So th it works for them very well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what I wanted to say about Panaikos, I think that they just lost their identity. At first, uh, Kalaitis was that last guy who kind of connected the previous era of Panathinaikos, the greatness of Panathinaikos and this new era and Panathinaikos tried to build around him. And it was okay because with Kalitis you were almost the playoff team. But the problem is that, okay, I understand that they didn't have enough money to keep him in, in Athens because uh, Barcelona, they were spending a lot uh, for him. But the mistake they did, uh, that they fired Xavi Pascal. Uh, because that was their decision. You know, Kalaitis, okay, there are some consequences, uh, some conditions, some, some you know, situations you cannot control. Uh, Chavi Pascal's uh, case, 
was in their hands. And uh, I remember I was talking to Manos Papadopoulos, the, the former Panhaikos GM, and he told that as managers, sometimes we repeat the same big mistake. And not only in Greece, uh, we want to build a team without a big coach. And it's impossible. If you don't have the great coach, it's impossible to build a big team. And they found some quick success with Rick Pitino at first. They made the playoffs that year when Pitino came but they were swept by Real Madrid. They didn't have a, uh, any chance. And I'm not saying Priftis is a bad coach. Again, I'm just saying that he, he's one of the, probably he's the best uh, available Greek coach for this Panhagos team. He deserved this chance because he was doing really great with Kazan. And I think he's a good person, good coach. He just needs some time to adjust and he needs a better team uh, to compete in, in Europe. But you had a, such a great coach like Xavi Pascal. I mean, they were doing bad that, that year when they decided to fire him. Probably, his, let's say, it was hard for him as well to deal with uh, Dimitris Genokopoulos and all these bus rides uh, from Turkey after uh, some some games they lost. But even, even if you had a bad season, just finish it and it started from the scratch. And you have a, mm, a person, a personality, a character, a specialist to build around. If Kalaitis is going somewhere else, you can trust Xavi Pascal. Look what he's doing at Zenit. In any situation, any team he had, any changes changes he had to face, he's dealing with it. He's doing great job. He's readjusting, and again, he's competing for the playoffs and maybe even more. So that's why I feel bad about Panaikos. Yeah, I agree with you. But I, I I have a feeling that they will be much better in years. Now they're in a tough sit, uh, financial situations uh, situation first and foremost because. Uh, Dimitris Genokopoulos is still one of the owners, or maybe he's the main owner of the team. I, I don't know the clear structure of that club. But the thing is that he didn't sell the team yet, but he's not investing at the same time. And also, Panhaikos, they're very dependent on um, ticket sales. And post-COVID era um, hurt them a lot uh, as well. Uh, so when we will get back to a new reality, when... Either Dimitris will be back or he will sell the team. Panaikos will do uh, better. But now they have to be patient. They have to be smarter and they use have the resources they have at the moment. They, they have to fight with Jalgiris <laughs> to, really to avoid the last spot. <laughs> Which means nothing, actually. Uh, so that's about time to start our last chapter yep. of today's podcast, which is your league mid-season awards and we have six categories and we would like to start with the mvp of the of poors M mvp of the poor yeah meaning um we will choose our mvp from the teams that are below the 10th spot in the standings and mvp of the poor stands for whether it's a uh, poor club in terms of budget mm. or it's a poor team that is just performing poorly in terms of results yeah so it would be very easy to choose an mvp from the whole league mm -hmm. but it's a different challenge to choose the mvp from these clubs that are below number 10 although this time for me it was a bit pretty easy because i love how zvezda was performing in the first part of the season. I cannot say that they overachieved. That's what I kind of expected. They're tough every night. They're fighting. I see the 
really good team chemistry and I just like the face of that team. Nikola Kalinic, he simply, you know, he's the face of uh, what this Vesda team is, what they DNA DNA is. And okay, it's it's tough to call him the MVP of of of, of the poor because probably he's getting more than one million euros per year. But Vesda is a low budget team. Yeah, they're the really low budget the team. And I kind of I mean, I agree on spending huge money on big players, game changers, and this, I wouldn't even call it gamble, but this huge investment, I mean, it really paid off for Zvezda. It's no surprise, actually. Nikola Kalinic had a great season in Valencia, so you could expect him to be even better at home I just in, in Belgrade. I just feel bad for him because he uh, missed two crucial free throws against FS. And they, they had that game <laughs> in their pocket as well as... And he had a great performance and he made a mm -hmm. fadeaway shot. Tough shot. Yeah, that actually... That's how you should decide games. Yeah. Right? And, and then he missed the free throws and Vasamic is on the other end made And before he ha made a stupid fo uh, foul uh, trying to push uh, Vincic from the baseline. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, I have to agree with you on that one. For me also, in this category, the MVP would be Nikola Kalinic because he's winning games for Sylvana Zvezda. He's adding so much quality for them. Maybe uh, in the past, we didn't know Nikola Kalinic as a very talented player. We knew him as the reliable defensive player. Yeah, role player. But now you can see that he actually has a lot of game and very one very impressive move that he makes consistently is this dribble over the back. Mm. The way he's getting... It's so slow. The way he's, like he's so splitting the defense or he's getting his way out of trouble is the ball behind his back. And it's really working for him. Um, he can still improve his three-point shooting. I think he can be a better spot-up shooter than he is right now, but he's playing a lot in the post he's getting the ball a lot in his hands he is providing free assists per game also he's a team player obviously you can call him a star uh, actually he could be on one of those elite EuroLeague teams and easily he, I mean I was actually surprised that he went to Cervenas Vesda mm -hmm. so early in his career he's still only 30 years old I was really expecting Barcelona to sign him, to be fair. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you on this one. There's not much to discuss. Nikola Kalinic fully deserves the mention. Second award, uh, the moment of the mid-season. The biggest moment of the mid-season mid for me was quite recent one, actually. Um, it is Real Madrid beating Tseska without their roster playing with kids, with a couple of veterans, hanging in there all the time, and then in the fourth quarter, going with the best lineup that they had at the, at, at the moment and winning it. So Esca just couldn't hit any shot. They were just mm. hitting the rim. Um, Real Madrid, they were really good in protecting the paint. With Walter Tavares, first of all, they were eliminating those uh, Will Clyburn's post-ups. They forced him to... Pass the ball and guys like Schwed, uh, Lundberg and others just couldn't make their shots. Uh, but this is a very impressive win, which says a lot, not only about the team, but the club in general. Yeah, that, they, that they, they, their, their mentality, the culture that is there, the youngsters, 
how they um, compliment the veterans when you see a 17-year-old being clubs there on the court, clubs are, and being there shots. on the court with the legend, Sergio Yule, this is what Real Madrid is all about. Yeah. Legends, veterans, appreciating your history, appreciating uh, these players and giving them Trust. long-term contracts, trusting them, playing playing the game the way it's supposed to be played, right? Nobody's going to kill Rudy Fernandez or Sergio Yul for taking a crazy uh, one-legged fadeaway jump shot. This is who they are. Let them be themselves. And at the same time with these legends, you have the youngsters playing and it is working and you are winning against the sky in, uh, under these circumstances. It's really amazing for me. It's It has to be the win of the season for me, actually, to be honest. Mm. Wow. That game was like a fairy tale, And Lasso in all these years, he made this team so unique that even if you're missing not only one piece, even few pieces. Nine. Like, even on this case. Nine, nine, nine pieces. Even if you're missing your head coach, actually, yeah. nothing changed. It's like the same machine, maybe it's just some different parts, but it still goes well. I think Pablo Lasso, being at home in isolation, watching that game, should have been the happiest person in the so world proud. at that moment. Seeing these 17-year-olds making good plays, seeing the team winning against Saska, and Saska had their full roster. Pablo Lasso should have been so proud. Um, it's fair to say that the Christmas were okay for it was like Christmas for Madrid, magic. even though of course it's not nice that they are suffering because of the coronavirus. Yeah, I remember I wrote an article uh, on basketnews.com website, Christmas Magic, who are these young killers that shocked it says kind Euroleague TV uh, voice Joy Lauskas actually told just before the game that there might be some Christmas magic right there tonight. And for sure it was and it was so impressive. Garuba's younger brother, he went there against Shingelia, he made some hustle plays he made he good fouls him, he puts him on the ground he's clapping in his <laughs> face and he's so fired up and he's 17 year old and he's helping his team just a shorter version of of usman that's for sure yeah gloves are the same he's making he's playing 22 minutes he's making important three pointers in the fourth quarter baba miller okay he's still too early but the skill the body the potential is all over there and he will be great as well I think Klavžar knows that there was a pretty good Slovenian at the age Number of 17 seven, right? playing in Madrid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is the biggest moment of the season for me, actually. Uh, I agree. This game was magical, uh, but uh, probably I was also affected by recent events. So that's why I took the shush as my moment of the midseason because I don't remember any, I would say, action or activity which have caused a bigger reaction, both during the game, the way how Palau Blograna, they fired up, how it fired up Barca players, uh, how it got Mirotic angry, how the players were reacting after the game, Brandon Davis, Piero Riola doing the shush and being smi smiling, internet just exploded, Twitter just exploded because of Isaiah Cannon what was also funny that Cannon replied later that he has no regrets. He had that selfie smiling on on the plane saying that, hey, I will be waiting for you in, in Kazan. It created so much drama and it could be my one of the Netflix uh, episodes, you know, just about that shush. It was spectacular play <laughs> in my eyes. 
historical comeback. I mean, a lot of good things happened around then, around it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, the third war. Uh, this one was for uh, how to call it in, in Lithuanian and in, in, in English. Uh, Someone who is silencing silencing doubters. Someone yeah, who doubters uh, silence yeah. their doubters. Uh, it's an easy one for me, actually. I I just chose Vladimir Parasovic because mm. there were many people doubting him. There were like at least two people in this room that were doubting him before the season and what he is doing with the uh, with with his team in Kazan is really special. Still, they had have to fight a lot to make the playoffs. Still, there's a long way ahead of them, but um, it's fair to say already that he silenced some critics and doubters and and proved that he really built a good team. I actually took uh, Unix in general because there were so many doubter uh, silencers uh, inside the team, starting from Perasovic, uh, of course. Then, when I saw Hezonia signing with Unix, I was like, why he's doing that? I mean, that that club doesn't have any culture they don't have any fan base he was so so in love with Panathinaikos fans now he's going to the mediocre Euroleague city with a very questionable roster and potential to make some noise in the Euroleague and now he's here he's leading his team they're making a playoff push he's doing really well and it seems like he's enjoying it uh, so far then we had players like Isaiah Cannon for example unproven unproven players in the Euroleague uh, good individuals, but we're not so sure how they will play in the Euroleague and how it will combine with team uh, winning games. Then we had the OJ Mayo, another big NBA name with very questionable personality, big history, and now he is uh, proving many people wrong, even inside the Unix organization. Being Andrei Voronsevich is proving people wrong. Voronsevich is so, so, like, I don't know. Krapa or any all these Russians they they play so many years and they still keep uh, being uh, effective. He was playing in Nizhny Novgorod and you couldn't see him making a comeback to the EuroLeague or at least not the way it is right now. You, I mean, if when you're a Russian player, you get a spot on a roster uh, somewhere in, in, in Zenit or Ceska, but you don't play big minutes. And Voronsevich is playing very quality basketball. It's a very important piece in that yeah. team, uh, especially for Parasevich uh, to play big with him on the court. And I remember when he left Ceska, uh, I think he was also offered to Zenit, which is a natural case. He was offered uh, for the best uh, Russian teams. and Nobody went for him. So he's proving many people wrong. And I'm not so sure about that, but when uh, what I like about Warren Savage, for me, he seems to be a very funny guy. Uh, I don't remember because there was a scoreboard which kind of hide what Warren Savage did, but if you remember well, Isaiah Cannon missed, I, I don't know if he was trying to dunk the ball or it was just a layup, but he missed that open layup. And there was a time timeout later, and when... Cannon and all the other players on the court were going towards the bench. Voroncevic was on the bench. He jumped uh, on the court to greet some of his players. And I think that he did this for Cannon, you know, just like dunk the ball. You know, it will be easier <laughs> for you when on the court. So he's a funny player as well. Lorenzo Brown, uh, for example, in Fenerbahce, in Zvezda, the biggest problem for Lorenzo Brown was that he was not involving other players in, in these teams. That's why he left Fenerbahce, because uh, Fenerbahce players, probably the coaching staff, they didn't believe that he can involve others and he can he could be a true floor general. For this team, 
He's a great fit so far. So he's the best point guard in the Euroleague this season. I agree. I so. agree. Maybe I would put um, Costas Lucas. But uh, Brown is two dimensional. He's good on defense. Individually, he has, he has, he's has a very long a bigger impact. Yeah, definitely. So great, great season for Unix. Mid season for Unix organization so far. The fourth award uh, is the player who needs to add the most in his game for the second part of the season to help both himself and his team. Maybe it's not an award. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's a mention. Yeah, okay. I I would say Nikola Milutinov, actually, uh, because Tosca um, needs him badly. They need him in good shape. He had some glimpses of the real Nikola Milutinov so far, but uh, he's not there yet. And he needs to improve in the second part of the season for Seska to get back to where they're supposed to be because they're they're supposed to fight for the best positions in the regular season and now they're behind Barca, behind Real, behind the Olympiacos. So um, Nikola Milutinov for me is the guy. Uh, you could mention some other Seska players actually. You could mention even Tornike Shengelia that mm-hmm. he cannot find his place right now. But Milutinov first of all because... Uh, before the season, we were talking about him as an MVP candidate. We were expecting mm-hmm. big things from him. He got hurt in the very first game of the season in actually like the s- third minute of yeah. the game. Um, he went out for a while. He got back on the court, but he, you could see that he still needs some time. Uh, but time is limited. The season is actually quite short. And I'm expecting quite that... Quite short, but quite long at the same time. Yeah, yeah. To regroup quite short for you to improve your game mm-hmm. and reach the form you want to be in. So I'm just hoping that Milutinov will be better not only for the playoffs, but he needs to be better now because Saska are not in the best situation at the moment. Yeah, I have Milutinov uh, as well for this category, but I really believe in Milutinov. I think he's a great player, and for him, the only question is just how long it will take for him to get uh, back in his uh, usual shape. It's about staying healthy. Yeah. First of all. And uh, it's going to be a game changer uh, for Ceska for sure. And that's why I believe in Ceska a lot. I still uh, still see them as a a title uh, contenders, one of the best uh, teams in the EuroLeague. And if they will add, for example, Brad Wanamaker, they will be just great. And uh, for Milutinov, that's actually the easiest part, just to get back in shape in a few months. And you mentioned about players progressing during the season. One of the best examples we have, one of the most unique examples we had was Brandon Davis in Jargiris, his first months in the club and how he uh, shined in the playoffs against Olympiacos. He just killed Olympiacos. And I remember I was having conversations with uh, Antanas Kavalauskas and he told that and he was already a veteran, playing one of his last seasons uh, in his pro career. And he told that, I never saw, I never witnessed such a fast and huge progress like Brandon Davis did in Jalgiris. The timing of the contract extension Jalgiris gave to Brandon Davis was that maybe was maybe the best GM move of the century. <laughs> that was a steal. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we agree on Milutinov. Let's, let's move the to next the next one. one. Best GM move of the mid-season, but the also includes uh, I mean, yeah, the pre- season. The, the, the preseason, right. Uh, best GM move, I think. Well, I still have to stay in Kazan, and mm. I, I would say Unix managing to bring Hezonia 
I'm I'm sure that Hazoni had some other offers, maybe even to go back to the NBA. But Unix convinced him that this is a good project for you, and you need to be here on our team in Kazan. Rasovic helped a lot. Rasovic helped a lot. So this this is not only the best move, but arguably the biggest move of the summer market because this was the biggest name uh, moving clubs. So Hezonia joining Unix, I would say this one. Um, there are others that I would say are honorable mentions. Uh, for example, you could mention Olympiakos, but it wouldn't be one move. Mm-hmm. It would be every single piece they brought. Yeah. Dorsey, Walkup, and the others. And... Yeah, that's how I cheated. And Real actually. Madrid, well, you could mention Yabusele, Ertel, and and other players. But one single player, one single mm. move, for me, it would be Hezonia. I, I kind of cheated because I I took the best GM move uh, building the backcourt for Olympiacos. And it all started with Thomas Walkup. Mm, clearly one of the best uh, perimeter defenders in the EuroLeague. And that's was the great example for Panathinaikos. He's not expensive. He's getting something between six or 700,000 euros or US dollars uh, per year, and you can afford it. And I kind of feel good for him that he didn't choose Jalgiris because with Olympiakos, he, he has a much better shot at at least making the EuroLeague playoffs. And it all started from him because him next to Kostas Lucas, it was already a great fit. But what happened later with Tyler Dorsey, there were some um, coincidences, let's say, because at first Olympiacos, they were uh, after David Lighty, uh, but as well uh, offer him five-year contract, something like that, which is also crazy in, crazy in European basketball. Then they were also monitoring Matt Thomas because uh, Dorsey was still thinking about the NBA, going to the NBA. So as soon as he understood that he won't get a deal, at least a guaranteed deal. Uh, he turned back to Olympiacos to start the talks uh, over again. And it was just a great timing to add score like Tyler Dorsey is. And I think that it's probably the most complete backcourt in the EuroLeague, having the um, premier elite defender like Thomas Walkup is. And first and foremost, he's an amazing teammate. His numbers doesn't show it, but he's just great and the impact he makes is way bigger than his stats in the EuroLeague. I was told that he was probably most beloved foreign player in Olympiacos in, in recent 10 years or something. Because no, so foreign, actually, with a Greek citizenship. Uh, Thomas Walkup, I mean. Ah, we're talking yeah, Walkup. Yeah, so, sorry, Dor- Dorsey has a Greek my citizenship. Bad, my bad, my bad. Yeah, yeah. and uh, Walkup is just amazing. He's sacrificing for his teammates a lot. He wants to make them better, and he always uh, have them in front of him. And uh, you have him, you have smart, elite, veteran, point guard and leader like Kostas Lukas. And then you had the nasty scorer like Tyler Dorsey. If we talk about Isaiah Cannon provoking Palo Blograna, Dorsey was doing the same in in Waka from the first minute of the game. And he was enjoying it. And he was killing from the first minute uh, of the game. So big shout out to Olympiacos, the way they built this backcourt. It's actually nice that you mentioned Matt Thomas. I kind of forgot about him. Great player. He's an extremely good shooter. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him back in the EuroLeague because obviously the NBA game is not working for him. Because of his defensive abilities, he has a spot on the roster in Chicago, but he's barely playing. So it 
could be an amazing addition for some Euro- EuroLeague teams. By the way, uh, to fi- finish up about uh, Olympiakos, we also can mention Yanulis Laranzakis. I mean, I didn't follow him before Olympiakos. I don't know. I didn't know who he, uh, he was, but as a Greek local player, he fills that backcourt really well. He's a good fighter. Uh, he's also sacrificing for his team. He's yeah. already efficient. Yeah, I mean, that's he, he's that's re- an amazing combination. A reliable role player, and you need these guys on your team. Yeah. So yeah, the last one, all mid-season team. Who do you have uh, for your let's say center position? Because center. I have to be honest, I don't have a clear tradition in center, and I split it that five to backcourt and front line. Well, for center, I still went with Eddie Tavares. I mean, he is just so consistent and so good at protecting the paint. There's no one better in protecting the paint and mm. stopping other teams' players driving in the paint and blocking shots and doing all these things. There's still no one better than Walter Tavares doing these these things. At the same time, being efficient on offense, uh, Real Madrid are using him very well. Um, it was a difficult start of the season, maybe for him because of the African Championship where he played, but it didn't take long for him to get back in rhythm. And I just couldn't choose anyone above him, to be honest. Jan Vesely could be there, but his team's performances in comparison to Real Madrid's this is the deciding factor for me and I'm choosing Tavares in my mind uh, Tavares has the same problem like okay problem like LeBron James uh, did uh, in his let's say few years in his prime in the NBA he's so good and we understand that he's the best but for some reason it's too boring and that's why we have to choose a different MVP so in this case Tavares is the best center, but I des- decided to um, uh, show some uh, praise to John Brown and what he did with Unix, because even if we talk about Hezonia, Lorenzo Brown, I didn't have them on my uh, midseason uh, all-team, although you could have both of them, actually. But I think that John Brown was that glue guy who helped everyone to be better. Both Hezonia, both Lorenzo Brown, uh, they deserve to be on this team. But I, I think that John Brown was the biggest game changer. And he can perform really well as a center uh, as well. And he's playing on the one of the, and probably the most uh, overachieved teams in the EuroLeague. Yeah, he can play as a center. He plays as a center yeah. in, in some situations. Still, it would be unfair, in my opinion, to leave out Tavares just because it's boring. For me, it's too boring, <laughs> really. Sorry, okay. Walter. Okay. Power forward. Power forward. Is it boring? Nikola Mirotic? I mean, how can, how can you not include Nikola Mirotic? Because he's the MVP of, of the midseason, and I also have him on my all team. We don't even need to talk about no, there It would be impossible to choose anybody else. I mean, there are some good examples of power forwards mm-hmm. performing. John Brown, one of them, you put him at center, but uh, yeah. obviously he could be considered as a power forward. But no one, no one can be on the same. The best Euroleague player. No one can be in the down. same discussion with Nikola Mirotic right now. Just simple. Not just the way he scores, numbers he gets. 
I mean, he took many games in his hands, and yeah. he was really good in clutch moments. Just, I hope that he will continue playing like that, and especially in the playoffs and the final four, because that's the place where Barca will need him the most. But so far, he's he's just amazing. It's it seems like he has some vendetta, you know, had before the the season. Losing that MVP to Masil, uh, Vasily Mitic and also losing the title uh, to FS. Yeah. Um, so to finish my front line, I also, again, I'm cheating. I, I like uh, cheating. So I had uh, Gershon Yabusela. That's why I took him instead of Walter Tavares. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Gershon Yabusela, small forward? I'm playing big. So I'm like, Unix. no, 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 no. <laughs> so Mirotic can be the small forward. Okay, not, not Yabusele. No, no. I mean, at I least, don't have at positions. Least, I have at a least front line and backcourt. At least yeah. change them on paper, For man. Me, there's, there's, there's no nothing difference. S- there's nothing small about Yabusele to call him small forward. I'm <laughs> sorry, man. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm cheating. If you're better with this, John Brown, <laughs> Yabusele, and Nikola Mirotic. Okay, that's better. I'm playing positionless basketball. Shadows had some minutes with Mirotic in the third position, so... The, there were some crazy lineups... Yeah, but yeah, it yeah. didn't go well because Unix were killing them in the fast break Yeah, but stations. I mean, I mean uh, uh, in the season against yeah, Adol yes, FS, yes, they yes. broke the game with, yeah. with the line of where Mirotic was, was the small forward. I cheated a little bit as well, but not as as much as putting Yabusele at, at third position. Because um, uh, to finish about Yabusele, he was a, a real game changer. And especially he stepped up when Real were missing two great power forwards, Anthony Randolph and uh, uh, Troy Tompkins. He is the best scorer of Real Madrid team. He has the best plus minus in that team. And he, it doesn't look like he's the newcomer in, yeah. in Madrid. So I also cheated a little bit, but not as much. Uh, this guy definitely can play small forward and he played small forward. And uh, I think he will still get some minutes if needed in this position. Um, I wanted to have at least one player from Olympiakos, so mm-hmm. I, I I went with Sasha Vezenkov. Wow, okay. He's having a very good season, um, especially the recent performances were very impressive. There's just not much to say. He's a very talented player, um, and now we're finally seeing his full potential, maybe, because uh, I remember when he moved to Barcelona from Aris, he was labeled like the next big thing from Europe. But those years in Barcelona, he never actually became the star player. So he moved to Olympiacos. His first year in Olympiacos also was a struggle. You were thinking mm. maybe he's actually not good enough. Just he's, he's just too soft or something. And everything changed actually in the second part of last season when he started playing as an elite offensive player as an elite forward and this year is the best version of Sasha Vezenkov we have seen so far and in my opinion he deserves a mention here in the all Euroleague 5 of the mid-season of course uh, from Olympiakos I had uh, Tyler Dorsey uh, and actually put any Olympiakos backward player on that fine uh, on that five and I will be okay with that because they were game changers uh, to me uh, as well but yeah Dorsey is the best scorer of Olympiakos he adds a lot of value to their team and he improved the, the Olympiakos team significantly and I just couldn't ignore the fact that they are third on understandings and actually I took all my all team members from top six teams uh, and uh 
the reason why I put them on my five was based mainly on the team record and game-changing factor. So that's why I have Dorsey in uh, in my backcourt. Okay, fair enough. Right, shooting guard. Mm, it was difficult for me to decide, actually. Um, I went with a player from one of those underperforming teams. Um, actually, his numbers as a whole during the season are not so great because he started the season a little bit slow, but now, before he got hurt in the very last game, of course, he was leading the way and he was playing very impressive basketball. So it's Nando mm. Colo for me. Uh, it's a shame that now he's out and he will be missing games and it's a big problem for Fenerbahce, not only him, but also Jan Vesely got hurt. Um, but when you saw him playing recently in those games they won against Bosconi, against Maccabi, against Zenit, uh, you could see you could see that he's still one of the greatest in the league. So maybe it's a strange choice because the team is underperforming mm -hmm. and there are other guys with better numbers. You could even pick Shane Larkin over Decolo, but it's just my impression of what he did in the let's say recent five or six games. Yeah, okay. Good choice. And my last selection for my uh, all mid-season team is Jordan Lloyd from Zenit St. Petersburg because I feel, I feel that you must credit Zenit for joining the top group of mid-season teams without a true point guard. Jordan Lloyd was never point guard, but he had to take some point guard duties uh, in, in Chavez's team and that project somehow it it worked really well and Jordan actually won some games for for Zenit and as I said, he managed to survive as a point guard for this team in some long stretches and to take them to their their fifth in the standings and fourth actually. So that's that's an amazing achievement. Now for me it was an easy choice. I just went with Lorenzo Brown. I think mm -hmm. he's the best point guard in the league this season. Um we talked a lot about Unix already and about him so there's not much to say but Lorenzo Brown also because of his abilities on defense he's a two-dimensional player he's doing great things defensively as well and also leading the team being the true leader um, involving everybody else it's not easy to be a point guard on a team that has Cannon and Hezonia and others but he's doing it at a very high level so for me, he's definitely the point guard for the midseason team. Yeah. So that's all about our midseason teams. Yeah. Let's finish this one about the upcoming games. Uh, we will have games because of the new year. Uh, we'll have games on Thursday and uh, Wednesday. And uh, let's talk about shortly, really shortly, about games. We were probably we will be discussing the next week and one of these games uh, is Mo at Monaco uh, Monaco Maccabi there were already some reports by Roy Cohen that if Maccabi loses this one Ferropolis uh, is gone if i mean if that's the really if that's really the case usually it's already done for Ferropolis because if not it's now it's only a matter of time yeah it's only the matter of time and it's actually the bad situation so I hope, I hope this information is uh, wrong because it's kind of a death sentence uh, both to the coach and uh, both to Maccabi season although what is interesting that I made some research that in during this new era of EuroLeague with this new format since 2016 and 17 uh, season there were 30 coaching changes and only in 5 of them which is 16%, led to 
later that team made the playoffs and uh one of these cases where for example when Xavi Pascal uh change, replaced uh, Argiris Padulakis after the one game so it's it wouldn't be actually fair uh to put him on that list uh, there were cases with uh, Rick Pitino for example although the winning percentage was kind of the same uh he made the playoffs and was later swept by Real Madrid so actually usually the head coach is not the main reason uh, n- it's not the solution, the main solution, the best solution uh, to change things. It helped in, in Vitoria twice with Tarasovic changing Mat- Martinez, Pedro Martinez, and then also Pedro Martinez uh, changing uh, Pablo Perigione. But most of the times, as the numbers show, it doesn't change the whole picture. So I'm not so sure if that's the main thing uh, which Maccabi should do. Of course, they're losing games seven in a row. They lost against uh, Hapoel Jerusalem in the Israeli Championship, so it's kind of you know unavoidable, uh, probably. The game they had against Zenit actually they almost won the game. They almost snatched a victory in the match. They were really struggling. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be unfair victory for uh, for Maccabi. They had to change the way they play. They started playing through the paint, feeding Jalen Reynolds uh, because uh, Zenit's defense really stopped Scotty Wilbeck and Keenan Evans and all these other guys. And after Derek Williams' monster dunk, they were so close to winning it, but Billy Barron had some different plans. Yeah, and if they had this win, maybe we wouldn't be talking right now about Sferopoulos being being fired, but Monaco, they're a team that we know um, are very vulnerable. That's the case. They're L- team, let's say. They're, we cannot predict what kind of version yeah. of Monaco will we don't know what's gonna. We don't know what's going to happen, which makes this game kind of exciting. Mm. Yeah. So we have them on December 29th, uh, as well as Olympiacos Ceska, another amazing great uh, game in in Piraeus. And December 30, we have Unix FS, also an exciting game to watch and to discuss uh, the next week, uh, most likely. Then, of course, Vesda hosts uh, Zenit, Pau hosts uh, host Jalgiris, Basconia against Barcelona, as well against Real Madrid. And unfortunately, we have two games. No, as well against Bayern. Yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry, my bad. And unfortunately, we have two games postponed, Fenerbahce Real and Armani Alba. So just very quickly, maybe, um, Fenerbahce, do you see a way out of this? <sighs> they have to sign somebody. And it's going to be tough. Decolo is out for like six weeks? Something like that. Leslie for Leslie at, at least, least four, four, four weeks. Oh. That's painful. And they'll... They were kind of building up a little bit for the second part of the season, but now with these two significant losses, it's their, going their to be very tough al- to make the playoffs. Their roster is al- already thin, yeah. and now you're losing both of your superstars. Yeah, I mean, they don't have mm, Devin Booker as well. Okay, the very ugly is not a real absence, but you lost their two of your trouble. greatest players and two of the greatest players in their positions in the whole league. And you're already behind in the standings. I mean, you could survive if it would be 10. The record would be 10 wins, 7 losses. But the record is the opposite. 7 to 10. At least they uh, have games postponed. So maybe it will help them to survive. I don't know. And I don't know if there's a signing on the market that could actually cover for the Colo and Vesely. It's very hard. Yeah. That's pretty much it, right? Two hours of our podcast. Two hours, yeah. Because, pretty much because, because we started those... 
unnecessary discussions off, As top, always. off topic. We should not starting with dumplings, we, Netflix. We should format. not prepare to cover as many topics as we do because either way we start talking some different stuff. Uh, but that's okay. Yeah, not a problem. That's it's why the last podcast of the year anyway. Yeah. So it's just happy new year to everybody and stay safe and stay healthy. See you soon and follow us on basketnews.com. Okay.